Thank you for that beautiful song. And I just want to say, isn't it a beautiful thing to hear people singing around you? It's good to sing and praise God together in a con- as a congregation, as a people coming together to worship the Lord. I do want to say this, uh, just a reminder, if you weren't here last week, uh, we started out in Acts chapter 2, and it was the very beginning of the real first church. We saw on the day of Pentecost, we saw Peter, he came and he preached the message, and some 3,000 people believed in one day. And we talked about instead of the chaos and division that could have called, there was unity, a sweet time of the Spirit. But we also saw as the church developed, they focused on four things in the text, and I gave a fifth. But we saw that they focused on the teaching of the apostles, that a church should focus on the Word of God and learning it and being committed to it. Second, it was to fellowship, that is, the new identity as a community, as a new people. They identified together with common goals and interests, but also they became family together. The third was they were breaking bread together from house to house. We saw that they were eating their meals together. We, sometimes we think that goes along with fellowship, and it does. But we get to know each other because we're really family together. Number four, they gave themselves to prayer. And then the fifth one, what I said was evangelism. They were making known publicly the gospel. They were going to the temple, continuing to proclaim this great message, uh, message of salvation to everyone. And so we pick up this morning. Uh, we're not going back into Acts this morning, but we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3 because we're going to focus on just that first element. They focused, and it was essential for them to focus on the Word of God. If it was essential for the church almost 2,000 years ago to stay committed to learning and following the Scripture, guess what? It's still essential for us today to be committed to it. And I want us to see that we need to be a church committed to the Bible, committed to the Word of God. As we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice the contrast. Notice how it describes the people that are loving themselves and not following the Scripture. And then you're going to see a contrast when we look at Timothy, who heard the Scriptures from his youth and grew up with not only learning the Bible, but then was trained by Paul. And we see that his, how his life unfolds. And then thirdly, I want you to see what this passage actually teaches us about the Bible itself. And not just a spoiler here, it tells us that it is the God-breathed Word of God, that it is coming directly from Him. And so that's where we're building in the text today. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Verse 9, they will make no further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jonas and Jambres' folly was also. Now you followed my teaching, conduct per- conduct 
purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Amen. This is the Lord's word for us this morning. You may be seated. As we study these verses, it paints quite a dark picture of lost humanity, doesn't it? We saw in those first, especially that first five verses there, quite a description. But it starts in verse 1 with this, In the last days, difficult times will come. And you might be asking, well, Pastor, what did he mean by that, right? Does, is it relevant at all for Timothy, who lived almost 2,000 years ago, to say that, well, in the last days, times are going to be difficult? Because Timothy didn't live in the last days, did he? Well, he did. The truth is, when you begin to study the Scripture, what we find is this last age that we live in, well, it started, uh, depending on who, which scholar you look at, either with Christ's birth, with his first advent, his coming, or with his death, or with his resurrection, or with his ascension back into heaven. Once he, that's where I think, once he goes back into heaven, listen, we are in the last age, and things are going to continue to progress until, guess what, he comes again. You know, we live between the two advents. We live between Christmas, when Christ came, and the second advent, when Christ will return. And so all of this age is called the last age. And so when we see this, it is completely relevant for Timothy, and it's relevant for us. I know this because if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Timothy is told there, he's charged to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. And that means that whether it's convenient, not convenient, whether people listen, whether they don't listen, you have an obligation, Timothy, teach the word of God. And it doesn't matter that this difficult generation is coming because he tells them also there in verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. In other words, he's telling Timothy, in your lifetime, the day is coming, you're going to realize this, that people are going to come and they're going to want to hear just what they want to hear. They don't want the scriptures. They don't want truth. They want the things they already believe. All right? And he said they're going to accumulate for themselves, gather around them teachers who would just tell them exactly what they want. It would tickle their ears. It's kind of a strange phrase for us, isn't it? Uh, but we know what this means. In other words, difficult times are coming, Timothy, and it's the same truth is valid for us today. But let's go back and see who these men and women are how they're described. Go back to 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. It starts out by saying, first, that they are lovers of their selves. They're lovers of self. Do you guys know that if you begin to look back at, at sin, sin almost always begins with, with me, myself, and I. It's always about our desire, what I want, not what God wants, isn't it? It's, 
If you look at any sin you've ever committed, at some point you said, you know what, I want that. And I don't care what God says, I want it. And we set ourselves up on the throne, and we decide that we are the rulers of our lives in the universe, and that God is not. But the truth is, we know the reality is that God is indeed sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning, and he gets to decide what is right and wrong. Uh, I just read this week another one that says, you know, Satan never comes and asks us to worship him. He doesn't, does he? If you, even if you go back to the Garden of Eden, he's like, yeah, but wouldn't it, if you ate that fruit, wouldn't it be good for you? Wouldn't it be beneficial for you? And so they began to turn away from God's word, not to worship Satan, because the sin of self, the sin of I want to look out for me, look out for me, and number one. And that's always what it is. Sin always has a selfish element to it. Verse 4 says that they were lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I think that goes right along with this. They were lovers of self, and at the end of the day, that means that we want to do what we want to do. And that's how people have always been. It's how it was in Timothy's day. It's how it is in our day. It's how we are in our very core. Uh, there's a reason that they tell us that, that um, the heart is just a, a, an idol factory. We'll find anything to worship but God. Here's the scary part. We know that the lost world is like that, don't we? But we can erect that idol of self-love and egotism at any moment. At any moment, it can take place in our heart, and we can say, you know what, today, I want to do what I want. And I'm willing to ignore what God has said. Speaking of idolatry, if you look back in verse 2, not only do they, are they lovers of self, they're lovers of money. We know from the scripture that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, isn't it? It's not the money itself that's the problem. It's that when we desire that money, we desire that wealth so much that we're willing to sin to get it, that we make it the aim of our life instead of the aim of our life being to bring glory to our Father, then we shipwreck our faith. We will bring ourselves down every time. And so these men and women in this as they're described here, they have put up the idol of self, then the idol of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. Uh, if you were to look in 1 Timothy 6.10 where it actually says that, right after that he tells Timothy, flee from these things, you man of God. In other words, you see the idols of the lost world, the idols that we've all had in our own lives at some point, and he tells them, run away from it, church. Run away from the idol of self. Run away from the idol of money. Run away from being arrogant and boastful. Look back at verse 2. Boastful and arrogant is the sin of pride. That again, what's it pointed back to? Me. If I am proud, I think I run everything. I think that I can do it. And the scripture says I can't. It says that God is the king. So we see all this and kind of how it's unflowing. You're getting a, an idea of what it describes these people as. Today's passage goes on to describe them as, as boastful. But look, look again at verse 3. Actually, let's go back to verse 2. It says they're boastful, arrogant, revilers. The original word there is blasphemer. That they're speaking out against God. They're declaring that he's not real. Or maybe they're just declaring untruths about him. They're making up a God according to their image, 
and not a how, according to how God actually is. Then disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good. Church, does this sound familiar? When was the last time you turned on the news? Just walked around and talked to people, observed, saw some of these things. Now, I know, listen, when you turn on Fox News or CNN, you get a skewed picture of the world, don't you? You really do. I don't care where you get your news from. It's different when you begin to talk to individuals. It is. Because we, when we see things on TV, we just make big assumptions. But we have to get to the individual and talk to them. But these sins are common. You know how I know they're common? Because they're right here. They're in my heart. And they've been there since I was a child. But there's just something, and we see, we live in a generation where people are not just disobedient to parents. We don't honor them, do we? We're here to honor mothers this morning. How many children have stopped that? And it's always been this way. It's not new with this generation. And, and by the way, I say that as a comforting thing to us. Because every pastor and every generation thinks, this is it. This is as bad as it can get. The world is ending. Jesus is coming soon. And the truth is, it's not, is it? I mean, Jesus could come back tomorrow. He really could. But my point of this is the human condition has been the same for all time. The scripture tells us that there is no one who seeks good. There's no one who seeks after the Father. That everybody has chosen to go their own way. And that's exactly what we have described here in 1 Timothy. Now look at verse 5. It says they're holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. What I think that means there in the text is they have formed their own religion. They've made their own morality. They've decided what is right and wrong so that they can excuse their own behavior. But they refuse to acknowledge the creator and the word of God. And as such, they have rejected the one place they could have gone and found absolute truth and the power of salvation. There's just one place they could have gone. They could have gone to Jesus. But instead, they have, they have a form of godliness. They have a religion that they have formed with a new morality that says, if you just follow these things, you'll be good. Does that sound familiar? It does, doesn't it? I do believe that increasingly in our world, we have a global culture. It's beginning. You, it doesn't matter where you go as a missionary in the world. Some of those cultures, because of the internet and because of other, just the global connectivity, those cultures are beginning to shift. Old traditions, and no matter the culture or religion, are fading away to a new global culture. And what that means is we can redefine morality. They can just say, hey, this is right, this is wrong. We see the issues today that come up with uh, gender. And we wonder, well, what does the Scripture say about it? And we begin to look at the Scripture, and we have to judge what the culture teaches us by the Word of God. We'll come back to that. And here's what I want you to do. Look down. Uh, we, we see that they are creating this false religion. It happened then. It happens now. Look at verse 7. I'll close this section out on, on the, the, the people who do not follow the Word. Verse 7 says, They were always learning never able to come to the knowledge of truth. 
We see that that continues today. One error is built off another. One philosophy just adds to the next so that humanity creates their own truth. We see this happen in ivory towers. We see it happen in academia. And there's good things in academia too, by the way. I'm not, I'm, by the way, I'm not against education. I'm for it. But here's what I want to say, that every idea that is out there is not good. And we must test them by the scriptures. We don't want to be those that are always learning and yet never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Verse 13 wraps this up. It says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Can you imagine that you really believe some of this stuff so much that you know you made up some of this, and yet you begin to be deceived by your own lies? Lies do work that way. If you tell yourself something enough, you begin to believe it. But the philosophers of this age, of this world, will teach us things that are untrue, and they continue to build that off of one another. And we see that they are deceived and continue to be deceived. Brothers and sisters, that must sound like the age we live in. The most, that most people simply live according to their own desires and pleasures, making idols of themselves instead of the Creator. The cycle of self-deceit continues. If we abandon the Word of God, we will follow the same path. There's only one thing keeping us from it. The Word of God that He's given us. I say the one thing, I guess we could include the the Holy Spirit and God in there, so maybe I want to rethink how I phrase that. But here's the thing. He gave us one message that we know is the, is the inspired Word of God, and that's where we're supposed to, what we're supposed to follow. And you might say, well, Pastor, it sounds bad, right? If all the world is like this, people are deceived and being deceived, and they seem blind to the truth, and it's like they have ears, but they don't hear. What in the world should we do? Should we give up? No. We don't because we see that we are no different than they are. We're no different because we were once exactly like them, according to Ephesians 2, which, by the way, we're studying on Sunday nights, not this Sunday because we're not having service for Mother's Day, but just a plug, on Sunday nights, we are studying through Ephesians. Please come. When we get to Ephesians 2, it says this, among them, among the lost, we all too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. It describes that you and me, before we got saved, before God did his work and began to make us more like Jesus, we were just like everybody else, wasn't it? weren't we? We were indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We lived exactly like is described here in 2 Timothy 3. When he says and dif- the difficult times are coming and people aren't going to want to listen, that was you. And that was me. Before the gospel came into my life, before the Spirit regenerated me and made me alive and gave me new life in Christ. He does a work of salvation. He can open up blind eyes and he can open up deaf ears. And so we know that that's true. And so we're not saying this this morning to judge the lost world. They're already judged because they're outside of Christ. Our goal, our job is to take them the good news to go gladly and rejoicingly to them and give them hope, to give them the message of salvation. Now, I want you to see the contrast to Timothy. Look down in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He tells Timothy, you come out of this world, you're not like this. He says, you followed my teaching, 
My conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, my perseverance, or perseverance, the persecutions and sufferings, all of this happened to me. You guys know that if you look in the scripture, Timothy's mother and grandmother got saved, most likely on Paul's first missionary journey when he went through their hometown. And he grew up hearing the gospel from his grandmother and his mother. Praise God for mothers, right? And he became not just saved, but he grew up with that, and they trained him the right way. And on the second missionary journey, Paul went back to that town, and he called Timothy alongside him and made him his apprentice. Everywhere he went from then on out, Timothy went with him. He was trained up by the apostle. So Timothy had the benefit of committing himself to the teaching of the apostles like we talked about last week. It was a an apostle untimely born. It wasn't one of the original 12. It was the apostle Paul. But Timothy grew up with him, and there's benefits for it. Look down at verse 14. You, however, don't be, again, don't go with the imposters or the evil men who are deceived. You, however, continue in the things you've learned and have become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You hear what he said? You've grown up with these. Don't turn away from the scripture. Many, many people grow up in the church. And they hear the scripture taught to them. And then when they get out and their ideas get challenged, instead of asking questions, they say, well, maybe the, the Bible wasn't true. Or they decide they don't like different parts of it. And over time, they go back to being deceived. They go back to being convinced of that sin is okay and that God is not on his throne. He's telling them, don't go there. You've known these from scripture uh, from childhood, you've known these sacred scriptures. You have been blessed with this. Don't turn away from it. And the best part of all of this is that the scriptures give us the wisdom that leads us to what? To salvation. It convinces of us of our sin and our need for righteousness. It convinces us that Jesus himself has come and has paid the penalty for our sin. All those things are there in the scripture. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We look there, and all of you know this verse. I guarantee you, if you have been raised in church, you know 2 Timothy 3.16. It goes kind of like John 3.16. You learn John 3.16, and then you learn 2 Timothy 3.16. Because they both have 316, right? And so they make it easy on us. And you begin to look at this, and it says, All Scripture is inspired by God, but I've already told you, and you know because you've heard this taught. That's a compound word in the Greek that means God breathed. That, these, that, the, that God has inspired the writers of Scripture such that we can say that the Bible is the very words of God. His spirit was at work when they wrote those. I don't even know that they were always fully aware that they were doing that. But you can look, look in, in, in 2 Peter and you can see that, listen, no prophecy is by the will of man. It comes from the spirit. It comes from him. And so we as a church must recognize the valuable uh, treasure that we have in the God-breathed word of God. 
If you go up to anybody and just say, listen, God sent me a message. He spoke to me. And you can really mean it? Well, guess what? They should be astounded that the creator of the universe wrote a message for you and for me. I, I heard somebody once say that, listen, if you want to hear God's voice, you want to hear him speak, read the Bible out loud. Because this is his word to us. And he's given it to us and it is a treasure. But notice that not only does it lead us to salvation and tell us everything we need to know about God, but we get this, we get all, look at what it's useful for. It says for, for teaching, which is what we're doing right now and in Sunday school, for reproof. You know what reproof is? Sometimes you have to be told what's going wrong in your life. I have to be reminded all the time. And the scripture convicts me and reminds me when I start believing the things of the world. It reminds me when I put up the idol of self and want to worship me instead of God. Well, I want to do what I want to do. The scripture reproves me. But not only that, it says it corrects us. It doesn't just say, hey, brother, you did that wrong. It tells you how to fix it. And it gives you a new path to go down. It trains us up in righteousness. It teaches us how to live in a way that is pleasing to God. All of that, in verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. We want to see revival happen at Forest Heights Baptist Church. I want to see you grow, and you want to see me grow. We want to grow together in Christ, grow together as a family, and we want to reach the lost community around us, don't we? And if that's going to happen, I need each and every one of you to be equipped for the task ahead. You see, there's a mission field right here, but you have to be trained up. You have to be equipped. Well, how do we get that? By the Word of God, by following it, by learning it, by obeying it, by coming and sitting under the authority of its teaching, not mine. Listen, I, the, t- the Scripture tells us, he, t- he charges Timothy in 1 Timothy to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And I have that responsibility this morning. If I say something that is an error, that doesn't go along with the Scripture, you have a responsibility of coming to me afterwards saying, Pastor, I don't know about that. And we want to have a discussion from the Scripture. Because I am not divinely inspired. I'd like to say I was, but you know that I'm not. I've already messed up several times today, just fumbling around through words. Well, listen, I'm not inspired, but the Word of God is. And we need to focus on that teaching. So whether it's here in this hour or whether it's in Sunday school with our teachers, we need to make sure we rightly divide the word of truth. We need to handle it with the care that it deserves. Church, we must be committed to the word because it is God's message directly to us. It equips us for all that we need to do. And more than anything, though, in here is the message of salvation. The lost won't get saved without the gospel. And they won't get the gospel without the word of God. And they won't hear the word of God unless somebody preaches to them. And I don't mean preaching from this pulpit. I remember, I mean by you having them in your homes, by you inviting them in, by you going to them to share the gospel. And we all must be ready to do it. I want to say one more thing before we kind of wrap this up. I know it's Mother's Day. I'm trying to get us out on time. Most of you know about Martin Luther. Anybody ever heard of Martin Luther? We know about the Reformation. 
right? We know that for years and years, if you've ever studied this, we know that the Catholic Church, and listen, I'm not speaking out against Catholics today, but at the time, the Roman Catholic Church, they were teaching some things that just weren't scriptural. But the Mass, everything was done in Latin. A lot of people couldn't read Latin. If I told you this morning you had to read the Bible in the original Greek, most of you would not take a Bible home. And so people, and plus, most people just didn't have access to the Bible in the way that we do now. This was right before the printing press. But as they were teaching things, and you guys may remember one of the most heinous ones that we learned about in history were the, the, the indulgences. You guys know what that is? It said if you sinned, that meant you were going to spend time in purgatory before you went to heaven. So after you died, there'd be kind of a halfway place where you'd be in torment for some thousands of years before you'd go to heaven. And they were teaching that if you would just pay the church money, you could get to heaven faster. And then they would show up at the funeral, say your loved one passed away. They would show up at the funeral and say, listen, they're in torment right now. But if you give me your money, we'll get them out of purgatory right now. They get to go to heaven today. That's one heck of a sales pitch, isn't it? But is it based on the word of God? It's not. And so there was a monk named Martin Luther that we just mentioned. And he was there and he struggled with his sin. He struggled with understanding how salvation worked because he thought he had to work for it. He thought he could earn his salvation. And so he would starve himself trying to do penance, trying to make himself right with God. He would beat himself. He was on his knees so much, he had knee problems for much of his life. And as you saw this man go through this, he began to read the scripture. And as part of his study, someone had him begin to learn Greek. And he began to look at what the Bible said and not what was getting officially promoted as the teachings of the church. And what he found at, during this time is that indulgences didn't make sense because according to the scripture, salvation is a free gift of God. You don't pay for a free gift. When you come to Jesus by faith and say, please save me, I know I'm a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for me, you get saved. You get the free gift. And Martin Luther said, listen, this doesn't make sense. And we know that he spoke out about it. And he loved the Roman Catholic Church. And he just wanted them to change their mind. He said, can we change this teaching? We know that on, on Halloween, he didn't know it was Halloween probably, but on that day, he hammered those 95 theses on the door. And he shook up the world. And listen, he began to start writing as they debated with him. And they said, Martin Luther, this is not good. And they called uh, this big, uh, it's called a diet. It was a big council meeting where they were going to put him on trial for all the things he had written because he started writing books and pamphlets and letters. And he got that printing press and he was printing these things as fast as he could and handing them out. And the world didn't know how to handle it. So in, in 1521, Pope Leo X issued a decree that Martin Luther would, must recant of his beliefs and of his writings. If he did not recant, he'd be considered cursed and excommunicated. That's the way of saying, Martin Luther, if you don't say that you were wrong about what you wrote, you are damned to hell. That's what that meant in church language at the time. When Luther arrived, they had laid out all of his works on a table. All the pamphlets, all the things he'd wrote, and all the teachings from the scripture. And they asked him to recant. 
And Luther told him, he said, look, if you will just show me the errors from the scripture, show me from the Bible how what I said was wrong, and I will gladly recant. They continue to push him, and this is his response. Unless I am convinced by testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they often err and contradict themselves. I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. Martin Luther stood on trial that day and could have been killed. He would spend part of his life in hiding and as a political prisoner at different times and sometimes seeking asylum in other places so that the Catholic Church would not execute him. Why? Because he said, I have discovered the Word of God. I have read it for myself. I know what it says. I will stand on the Word of God no matter what comes. Church, we must have the same fire and zeal about the Bible that Martin Luther did. We must be willing to pay the cost to lose everything in order to remain faithful to the Word of God. If we do not, we will begin to slide down a slippery slope drifting from truth and from the gospel that gives us wisdom and salvation. We will return to be more like the people that we found at, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that were deceived and worshiping themselves. In just a few moments, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. But brothers and sisters, I want you to pray that as a church, we have strength and endurance to follow the word of God even when it's hard, even when it will be easier to give way to the world, even if our government, God forbid, comes and says, you may not teach from this book anymore, then you need to be praying right now, one, that that would not happen. Pray for our government and our leaders. Pray that we would be the best citizens of the United States that we can be. But also pray that if that day comes, we will stand strong and firmly on the word of God because it is God-breathed and it can equip you for every good work. So I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Father, this morning, I thank you that you spoke to us in former days through the prophets. You spoke to us through Moses. You spoke to us through all the writings. And then in these last days, you have spoken to us in Christ himself. Father, I thank you that we have the gospel message, that we need no more direct words from you because you've already given us all that we need. Father, thank you that the word is God-breathed, that it is trustworthy, that it is inspired, that we can count on it because your promises never change, because you always make the right promises the first time. God, we thank you that you are good. And Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for those that are opposed to the scriptures. God, we know and we say with tears that many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. But Father... We pray for their salvation. I pray for the leaders of this nation. God, I pray that they would be convic convicted of the, of the word of God, that the spirit would move, that they would be convicted of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. And Father, I pray that they too would flee from the wrath of God, that they would come to the wisdom of salvation. Father, I pray for this nation, but also right now, pray for Forest Heights Baptist Church. Father, I pray that in the coming days, the word of God would be our foundation that it would be our standard, that all things and every decision we make, we would run it by the scriptures, that it would be the rule of faith for us. 
Father, I thank you for everybody that's here this morning. We do pray that you would convict us and teach us, help us to obey you and to love you more. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.